0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Psychology Sisters podcast. Before jumping into today's episode, we would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Arawakul, Waramai, and Darul peoples on which the Psychology Sisters podcast is recorded today. We acknowledge both their history and their living present, as well as future generations. We invite you to take a moment to pay your respects to the traditional owners of the land in which you are joining us on today
1: this episode is sponsored by our brand new six-week anxiety e-course a self-paced course dedicated to deepening your understanding of the hows and why of your anxiety as well as teaching you the strategies that really work if you'd like to feel more calm confident and empowered with your anxiety head to the links in the show notes for more information (sighs) Welcome back to another episode from the Psychology Sisters. We are two passionate professionals on a mission to deepen your understanding around mental health and start the conversations to break down stigma. Hosted by Kat, a registered psychologist. And Amy, a
0: registered psychotherapist. From building our own online private practice, the Psych Collaborative, to creating an e-course to help you care for your anxiety, we are so dedicated to bringing good quality, evidence-based information to you in Easily digestible and accessible ways. Together, we dive deep into the wonderfully complex world of psychology. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we have the lovely Maddie joining us to talk all about attachment and dating. But before we get into today's
1: episode, Maddie, Kat, how are you both? I'm good, thank you, Ames. It's so lovely to be here. And as always, we love to have Maddie here. So thrilled. Love our our eps with Maddie. How are you, Maddie? How's life?
2: Hi, thanks for having me on again. I'm good. I'm a little bit, I'll say to the girls, a bit nasally. So if I, I, well, you know when you hear yourself anyway, I always think that I sound nasally, but if I sound extra, it's because I have a bit of a cold today. So I'm good other than, yeah, just a bit run down from the Easter weekend. Ames and I always joke about this. Have you seen The Emperor's New Groove, Maddie? Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: like the little cat and it's like, is that my, is that my voice? voice? <laughs> is that my voice? That's what I sound like. <laughs> well, you know, the worst part is having a podcast, right? You have to, you know, when we used to Ames, have to listen back to all of our episodes. We don't really do it as much anymore. Having to listen to your voice for like, it's so unsettling. Mm. So totally feel you on that level. Hearing your own voice back is oh humble can feel a little bit icky. But you sound lovely, you sound normal, you sound like <laughs> just <laughs> cannot tell that you have a cold.
2: Okay. Well, I definitely feel it, but that's good. If I you hear a little sniffling throughout, that's what that is. <laughs> She's not crying. She's not <laughs> <more> sad.
1: <laughs> what about you, Ames? How's life? What's been what's been <laughs> I haven't heard that in so long let's just roll with it let's just (laughs) not pay attention (laughs) I added an extra syllable for Fonzies you did (gasps) did
0: for Fonzies absolutely (laughs) thank you for asking Kat I I'm going very very well I'm gonna take it away okay so my my pit which is actually kind of a peak I have noticed, especially living by myself, that I tend to sing a lot, just when I'm, you know, uh, pottering around the house or, you know, I'm cooking dinner, I'm, I'm doing something, I'll play music or I'll be singing. And I really enjoy it. Not that I'm good at it or anything like that, but I really enjoy a little ditty or so. Anyway, so... Um, Actually, only Tuesday this week, so it's Thursday. Tuesday this week, I was singing my little heart out to see a chandelier, which isn't the most subtle of songs to be belting it out to. Anyway, so I was having a great old time, pottering around the house, singing chandelier, and then I heard one of my neighbours yell out, shut up. (laughs) But it wasn't like like a... it was like a shut up. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't realize.
1: Oh my god!
0: <laughs> really? It's
1: quite funny. How loud were you? I being was, really loud. Must
0: have been really, really loud, and didn't realize how far my voice travelled. <laughs>
1: and and so yeah, I was very humbled. You can belt out a tune. You your voice travels <laughs> quite well. You have a very well-travelled voice.
0: Uh, so, I, uh, there was a split second where I was like frozen with, like, you know, embarrassment. <laughs> I was mortified that, like, I was like, I didn't realise that other people could hear me. And then, upon reflection, I was like, ah, uh, you know, <laughs> fair. fair fair. I will, in fact, shut up. So, so that is my my pit. And I haven't really I haven't really been doing too much singing since then, upon reflection, but that was a real low point for me this week.
1: Don't let them dull your shine. Oh, don't let them dim my sparkle. don't let them dull your shine. No, world, I'm a star. Don't let them do that. You're the world is my stage. You are a star. <laughs> you know what? Maybe next time do a deal. Like, let's take it one step further. Why Hello, don't we just get some in there? <laughs> oh, that's tough. Tough on the old ego. Yeah. Um, but you do have a beautiful voice, Can Vouch. Are you sure, though? I'm going to do a bit of CBT. Are you sure it was directed at you? There couldn't be anyone else that they were maybe talking to?
0: Without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. It couldn't have been anyone else. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, f- very tough. Um but I would say keep keep on singing, girlfriend. Keep on, keeping <laughs> on,
0: Uh So that yeah, that's that's my peak. A little bit humbled. You know what? It's fine. I actually I actually found it quite hilarious. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun time over here. And my peak, my peak is that I have been doing a really really good job at keeping up self care, and this may not seem like you know an outstanding peak by any means. But I think, and I want to kind of acknowledge this for anyone else that might be in a similar boat, sometimes, you know, it's not about the big successes or big achievements that we have that, you know, we often share as part of our, I guess, peaks or things that we acknowledge. Sometimes it's about the the little everyday things that we're able to do for ourselves that actually get really, really tricky when life gets busy. So my peak is that I'm going to acknowledge I've been doing a really, really good job at keeping up with the little things that bring me joy each day and practising what we preach, Cat, which is, you know, to be very compassionate and gentle and kind to ourselves. And I've been feeling very good for it. So that is my peak. What about you, Maddie? I'm going to throw it over to you. What has been your pit and peak?
2: My pit and peak. So, my pit probably has just been my sickness. (laughs) It's just been lingering (laughs) all week. I told the girls that to um, spare details of any of, I guess, the ins of what's been happening, but I had a bit of food poisoning on, or I think food poisoning on Monday night. And then I've just been hit with a cold. So, I guess, yeah, that's probably my pit. Um, And then my peak, I had a – all my family came home to Tamworth for Easter, which was really nice. And then, yeah, we just had lots of quality time at home. And then this week and actually this afternoon, I'm off to Toowoomba, which I'm really keen for. Well, I'm not actually that keen to go to Toowoomba because (laughs) it's seven and a half hours away from here, but my best friend lives there with her partner she's the army wife so she's always moving to the places he's posted so Toowoomba's where it's at and we're going to a um it's called meat stock festival on Saturday and it's like oh I don't really know what it is but I think it's like slow cooked meat and country music so yes we'll be doing that you look so um <laughs> impressed by Meat Stop Festival cat.
1: <laughs> I mean I am. I was like, there's a whole festival dedicated <laughs> to enjoying delicacies. Why have I not heard of this I'm genuinely impressed. That's incredible. Um, Maddie. That sounds so exciting.
2: Yeah, we're just keen, I guess, to I think after this weekend, I'm slowing down and I'm not going places because I just have been everywhere. So, um, yeah, Toowoomba, and then I'm slowing down. You
0: really have been all over the place. And last time we were speaking, you were in Western Australia. And when I spoke to you earlier this week, you were in Foster.
2: Yeah, and, I'm here now. So now
0: you're off to Toowoomba. Yes. Yeah.
2: I know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It must be exhausting. Like, amazing.
2: Yep. I'm one of those people that, like, like I travel to visit people, like I have no issues doing that, but I'm also, I'll go, yeah, yeah, I'll come next month. Yeah, let's book it. And I'm like, when I say I'm going to be there, I'll be there. And then I realise I've got three assignments due and (laughs) all the rest and I just make it work. But I have kind of the next couple of months I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to chill. Good plan. We'll check you on that, Maddie.
1: You'll, you'll come in like two weeks' time on the podcast and be like, yeah. so I'm going to Spain. I um, wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very, very exciting, Maddie. How exciting for you. Um, if anyone wants to ask, my pin and peak is yeah, – how do you <laughs> cat? I was going to ask <laughs> – <laughs> like a dog walking Lovely <laughs>
0: dear Katniss. <laughs> meat, meat and delicacy enthused to Katniss. How art thou? How has your week been? Oh. Tell me, pit, peak. Look,
1: nothing super exciting has happened. Um, nothing as exciting as a meat festival <laughs> or as maybe daunting as neighbours telling me to shush. My peak is that I went to a wedding earlier in the week and man. I love, love, like I love weddings. I love, love, I love, I love the food. <laughs> I'm really food oriented today. Um, I love <laughs> the wine. I love just how pretty it all looks. So it was a very close friend's wedding and they're just so special. I think I always forget this about weddings, but you kind of think about, okay, where am I staying and what am I wearing? What time do we have to be there? You think about all the pragmatic things. And then every time it hits me, when you sit down to the ceremony and you are like overcome with emotion, like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. And the vows start and men. I was a snotty mess. Are you guys the types of people that during the ceremony, are you criers? You, are you guys the, the criers or are you kind of a little bit more <laughs> regulated?
2: I think I'm... <laughs> slowly becoming a crier with age I don't know what it is
0: I know I'm I'm 100% a a sensitive little marshmallow and I cry as soon as I see (laughs) the groom getting nervous and sweaty palms at the the boulder I'm like oh I care so much
1: (laughs) <laughs> i remember i used to work in hospitality at wedding venues and i wouldn't even know the bride or groom or anyone there and i'd be like this is too much i just need a moment <laughs> i can't hand around the forms because i just need to go take a moment because i'm crying so much so it was very very beautiful um just to see two close friends get married in such a beautiful location yeah so that would be my peak i also have another wedding tomorrow so i am in wedding season love it very excited my poor little feet <laughs> need some TLC. In terms of my pit, I actually, similar to last week, I don't have a pit. I feel like my quick recollection of my week in my head just then, everything's been going okay. So I'm going to surpass the pit this week, only that I am sad. The only thing I can think of, and it's such a physical problem, is I did go into Coles the other day and there were no hot cross buns left. They have discontinued them very quickly and I'm (laughs) very, About that, but if that's the worst thing that's happened to me, life is going well. But without further ado, let us jump into the episode. We are talking all things attachment and how attachment styles show up in dating. Ames, I'm going to throw you under the bus like I always do. Talk to me about why this was an important topic to chat about today.
0: Oh, I love a good um, back end under, under, under the bus. I was just starting to get really comfortable too. As you were talking, I was like, ah, like this is great. I can just uh, listen to you for a little while. But okay, attachment and dating. Why is this important? Great question. I'm so glad you asked. It's so important to understand our attachment st- style because the emotional bond that develops between our adult romantic partners is partly a function of the same motivational system or bonding system that we experience during our infancy years or even before we are infants as early as in utero so early experiences in childhood end up being replicated in our adult relationships basically how we interact in relationships and the world around us is really impacted by our early years in life so essentially our attachment styles are fed by our earliest experiences and follow us from infancy essentially uh, to the tomb so from womb to the tomb our attachment style is like this script or this blueprint a map if you will that is wired into our biology and it impacts how we see ourselves in relationships. It impacts our responses, our perceptions. If you've ever felt like you feel alone, even when you're in a relationship, uh, if you've ever felt like you are constantly chasing, uh, if you're if you're someone that seeks a lot of reassurance, if you find dating really difficult, scary, uncomfortable, even likely that your attachment or your little internal script has a lot to do with some of those experiences and that is what we're here to mm-hmm. unpack today
1: beautiful thanks Ames for that beautiful description it is so common isn't it i think when we did an episode a while ago talking all about attachment i think we did have a little part on that talking about how it shows up in dating and i think we've had a few comments since then about how it does show up in dating because it's so so significant and has such big a big impact on our relationships and everything, right? So, Maddie, <laughs> I'm going to throw you under the bus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone needs to throw me under the bus today. I can, I can, I can handle it. <laughs> know, um, Maddie, what is attachment and why do we need to know about it? I know that Ames obviously mentioned it. I know that she has such, such a wonderful understanding, but I, I'd love to hear from your lens. What, what is attachment to you and, and, and why is it important to know about our attachment and our attachment styles?
2: yeah okay so there's a lot of different and when even when I was kind of looking into the topic there's I can go a little bit into like the theory of it as well without sounding too luxury but when we're thinking of attachment I think the easiest way to describe it is like the emotional bond that you have to your caregiver so as you said like from literally it starts from the womb and it can go all the way through to end of life but in saying that, your attachment, whilst it's something that you've learned over, I guess, time and from your experiences, it is something that can be changed. So, I think if I can go into a little bit around the theory without trying to sound too luxury, but from a social perspective, at least, we learn about attachment from a a guy or oh, a guy a psychoanalyst called John Bowlby's pretty much he researched originally like the effects of separation between infants and their parents so from i guess this he came up with four attachment styles and i think sometimes like lots of research has expanded on it but the four attachment styles that I understand is secure, anxious, avoidant, and disorganized, disorientated. I know some of them have different or add-on names, but they're the kind of the ones that the main gist of it, I guess. And when he was doing his research, he would put a infant and a, a parent or a caregiver in a room and then he would get the caregiver to leave, kind of observe the infant, what they would do. And then the main part of it was observing how the infant would react when they came back. And that would kind of identify, okay, what this is the attachment that this infant has to their caregiver. And from there, it just expands later in life from your experiences. So, from his research, a secure attachment would look like the infant would show distress upon separation but um, seek comfort and was easily comforted when the parent returned. And when we say secure, that is – I know we'll go more into it, but that is kind of the ideal attachment that you want to have. It shows a lot of like safety and comfort and trust – Anxious attachment, that would look like the infant experiencing a great level of distress upon reuniting with the parent and both seek comfort but also attempt to kind of punish their parent for leaving. Avoidant would look like the infant would show no stress or minimal stress upon separation from the parent and either ignore the parent upon returning or just actively avoid them. And disorganised, that kind of refers to children who have no predictable pattern of attachment behaviours. So, that's kind of, I guess, where my understanding has come from and then the four attachments. Something that's very relevant and again, I'm trying really not to sound too luxury but I'm doing a subject in my master's at the moment on human development and for context, I do a master's of counselling if anyone wants to know but we've been doing a lot of developmental theory and that kind of thing and when you asked me to come do this topic I was like oh perfect that's what I'm learning right now and there's another theorist his name's Eric Erickson and so he has a theory of psychosocial development which pretty much explores like the attachment from the caregiver we receive throughout the I guess the year uh, throughout life so pretty much this really relates to when a child develops relationships interacts with others and understands and manages their feelings so according to this theory a person's personality develops in a set order from infancy to adulthood through eight stages of psychosocial development during each stage of development a person will experience a psychosocial crisis which I'll explain a bit more but which could have a positive or negative outcome on their personality so they either get Gain or don't gain a psychosocial strength depending on each crisis that they go through. So, for example, an infant, and their psychosocial crisis that they will experience pretty much this is um, – very generic telling us that every person will go through this this, throughout their stages but they'll experience a crisis of trust versus mistrust so in this stage infants require a great deal of attention and comfort from their parents leading them to develop their first sense of trust or in some cases mistrust so they can develop the psychosocial strength of hope if this trust is developed then they'll likely develop a secure attachment then there's kind of four stages between, and I thought it's kind of relevant to talk about young adulthood, seeming that's probably most of the audience. The crisis that all of us are kind of experiencing at the moment, roughly from ages 18 to 40, is intimacy versus isolation. So someone will begin, I guess, The individual begins sharing with others more, including people outside of the family. If the individual is successful in this stage of development, they will build a satisfying relationship that have a sense of commitment, safety, and care. If not, they may fear commitment and experience isolation, loneliness, and depression. So, the psychosocial strength that is developed in this stage um, is love. So, ideally, you want to get that psychosocial strength from each crisis that you go through. And then, yeah, so you can start to see how the psychosocial strengths are developed in each stage. It can lead to more secure attachment in each stage with people. If, if it isn't developed, it can lead to more of an anxious, avoidant, or disorganized, disorganized disorientated attachment style. So, that was very luxury, but it's kind of a background on, I guess, where attachment comes from. But it's important, Maddie. You know, I think that theory is, is
1: the underpinnings, right? Of a lot of psychological phenomena. So I think to what's really empowering is to understand the why. I think there is this really, you know, huge movement that we are very understanding of attachment for, for a lot of us, right? Like it's, it's become quite of a, a lot of pop psychology understanding your attachment style and you know I think there are a lot of people across this but what might not be known is the why or how that has shown up really how the impact is um, impacts of the stage of development like you spoke about with Erickson how that impacts on our attachment you know so I think don't ever apologize for being luxury we love that
2: (laughs) lecture us all day i'm just sharing (laughs) my uni knowledge and my past
1: uni knowledge it is so so important and i think there is it's it's such a topical concept at the moment attachment i don't know if you guys feel like this but i think with our friendship groups or even in our clinical work i wonder if you've come across quite a few people who may already know their attachment style or are quite across it do you guys are you guys seeing that too Mm. it's a really really huge movement at the moment a lot of awareness but also I'm sorry, I'm mean to throw you under the bus, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I know this is your area. This is your, your jam is you work a lot with attachment and trauma. Do you feel like there is a sense of almost some misunderstandings around attachment? Uh, I, I mean, obviously it is a huge thing at the moment, but do you ever feel like there is some maybe, yeah, maybe people maybe misunderstand a, a little bit of attachment?
0: That is a really interesting question. And I think that when anything becomes really on trend, I guess then we are then open to, I guess, our subjective interpretations of what that means. And I guess where I see misinterpretation or I guess a misunderstanding or a misconception of what attachment styles are is when I guess there is a lot of uh, TikTok and social media explanations from maybe people that are very, very well-intending, but perhaps that information hasn't come from I guess an evidence-based theoretically sound uh scope and I think I was actually having a really interesting conversation with someone around this the other day that it's almost like attachment styles have been likened to star signs
2: okay in, in
0: a way I know that sounds really funny but it's like oh what's your attachment style and like well I'm an anxious attachment so therefore this without actually and and I know this is a very generalised perception. However, this is as part of what you were saying, Kat, around pop psychology and something being very on trend, okay, to talk about. I have noticed that due to it becoming a bit of a buzzword, I think people who are wanting to do a lot of self-exploration and understand themselves a lot more is a really positive thing okay, it, it truly is. I think it's wonderful that there is so much information out there that is accessible. I love that uh, trauma is being so much more understood and I, I love that there is like this want to understand and learn more about the self. I think that is never a bad thing. However, yeah, I think that, that sometimes when things become more on trend and more of like a buzzword then we absolutely miss the importance of the theory which is what Kat was just saying Maddie like it's so important to understand what this actually is because attachment style is so much more than a star sign it's it's part of our biology it's part of our internal template it is how we feel safe in the world it really is so so important to understand and can be so instrumental to positive change in our lives so I guess it there is so much more to understand about attachment and then I think there is such a deeper kind of peeling back of layers like when we really look at what what attachment is you know it's like you were saying Maddie I think what what isn't understood enough about attachment is that everybody has the biological capacity to be securely attached like our whole organism wants to be securely attached that is like our foundation and then what happens is due to inconsistencies in primary caregiving or experiences that we will have as children we then have these adaptations like an anxious attachment is an adaptation to unmet needs an avoidant attachment is an adaptation to unmet needs like having to disconnect having to detach from our primary caregivers or or our protective figures disorganized attachment that's also an adaptation like it's when our organism and our our brain has to change to compensate for what wasn't there for us okay so when we can really understand our our maps our internal templates then we become the source we become really empowered to orientate back to a secure attachment and I, I think Yeah, that is so important. So as a really long-winded way of answering your question, Kat, absolutely. I I do think sometimes there is a lot missed in terms of exactly what attachment style is, but I think that's also a really great thing for us because then it opens up more of conversation uh, for people to learn more about what attachment is.
1: (laughs) Hey guys, sorry to interrupt this episode. We just want to quickly let you know all about our brand new anxiety e-course called Coming Home, How to Care for Your Anxiety. In this six-week self-paced course, we will help you to deepen your understanding of your anxiety and teach you practical ways to help you feel more calm, confident, and connected. If you've ever felt unsure about how to look after your anxiety and want to learn helpful and practical skills that actually work, then this course will be for you.
0: From our years of clinical work and research, we found those who understood their anxiety and learnt to care for it rather than saw it as an enemy to get rid of, noticed a reduction in their anxiety and felt more empowered to manage their stress and anxiety in everyday life. We are so passionate and dedicated to assisting you build a strong foundation to look after your experiences of anxiety. If you'd like more information, pop over to our website on www.atthesitecollaborative.com.au. There's a free download of the introduction and what to expect where you can feel free to suss out the course. We will add all this information in our show notes. Now back to the episode. What would you both say in terms of when it comes to dating? How do you think attachment style might be misinterpreted or misunderstood? Maybe I'll start with you, Kat. Throw you on the bus.
1: <laughs> I've been waiting for this, right? <laughs> great explanation aims and absolutely i think that's s- so valid i think when it as soon as it becomes part of pop culture or pop psychology it, it leaves of- often quite a lot of room for misinterpretation or misunderstanding i would say that how it might show up i guess within, within my clinical work is i think we spoke about this in our episode around self-awareness is i i will interpret other people's behaviors, specifically, let's say, from the lens of a relationship. So, if my partner is being quite anxious towards me or if I notice there is someone being avoidant towards me, it's a very quick jump to that must mean that they are anxiously attached or they're avoidant. Okay. So, I've noticed that there is this almost A very quick labeling of a partner's behavior or someone's behavior due to the assumption that I know their attachment style. So if they're being anxious, it must be because they're anxiously attached. If they're being avoidant, it must be because they're an avoidant attachment, you know, and, and, and I see that. And I think that, like you said, Ames, it is wonderful. It is incredible to have awareness and education understanding. But I think we're very quick to label and identify people as having certain attachment styles, when actually it is very normal in the scope of a relationship to feel anxious, <laughs> to be avoidant sometimes, to be a bit unpredictable. Right? I think we're looking at things and making very quick assumptions about people. And, and I think if we mislabel or misjudge someone, it may very well be that they are avoidantly attached. But I think if we're quick to judge them and quick to label them, we also totally minimise the human experience of being in a relationship. Right? and I, and I really always need to remind my clients of that that attachment aside you know people are allowed to feel anxious you know partners are allowed to be avoidant you know and we ourselves are too you know so I really see that and having to kind of notice that very quick assumption and and, the, and it can be quite detrimental right because if a partner is then being avoided in the future for example, What might happen is an assumption of, well, that's just because they're an avoided personality or they're an avoidant attachment and they need to work on that rather than what's going on for them, (laughs) you know, what's going on for them that I could help with or could, you know, something that we could work together with. You know, I find that it's a tricky dynamic, but I don't know if you guys feel like this, but when there is this sense of, well, they're just anxiously attached and that's something that they need to work on. The irony is with an anxious attachment, it really takes a team. You know, it really takes security, reassurance and comfort and absolutely we are responsible for ourselves. But I think that sometimes the quick labelling <laughs> really minimises a lot of the human emotions and, and normality of, of emotions that show up in, in relationships.
0: So what, what you've noticed is people will tend to fixate on the label and almost like use that to justify symptoms or traits of an attachment style which then I guess kind of create a little bit of blockage for that reflection and that introspection around well what what might I be doing that is you know causing my partner to have an anxious response or an avoidant response you know people are very quick to maybe what you've noticed Kat is people are very quick to go okay well what this means is they have you know this attachment style which is why they're doing what they're doing and so then that that's what that means and full stop. So it, it, it may actually be that it prevents people from furthering their understanding into the relational dynamic and what might be coming up there.
1: Yeah, or on the flip side, if someone identifies with their own attachment style, they're very aware of it, right, like I have an anxious attachment, then what can happen is if if they are really across it and, and know all their attachment, they know where it's come from, then they might then at the same time within the same breath, totally misunderstand their own anxieties.
0: Sometimes
1: I attach it to a label rather than humanize and normalize their anxiety in a relationship. You know, for example, you know, if you have an anxious attachment, you might think that every time you get anxious, it's a sign of your anxious attachment rather than normal anxieties that can pop up (laughs) in relationships so if we're misdirecting that to it must be my attachment then what we're also might be saying is you're right Ames there's a blockage there is I need to work on this this is a me thing this is my fault rather than actually what what could be going on within the relationship that we need to work together on and it creates that kind of constant blockage but absolutely I think it would go deeper in that I feel really people are really hard on themselves right
2: And I wonder if you guys feel the same. Something that I might just add on as well is that, and this might be going down a different tangent, but with something that comes up with me, I guess, with clients is that, and society really is how much, I guess, we live in a world now where it's so – I guess glorified to be independent, to do everything yourselves, not rely on anyone, especially like girls these days, I feel like it's very common to almost be like, oh, I don't need a man, like I can meet my own needs, like this, that, the other. And whilst that's awesome and that is definitely something you should be able to do and would be seen as like a a strength – I think that something that can come up is how much now that is glorified that actually is there something deeper going on where you feel like you can't emotionally connect with someone? Is there a fear that sits with that? But it's almost, it's, it's covered up by, Oh no, I'm just independent and I like to do my own thing. And the, if we, if you delve in deeper, then for some people, there's actually sits a lot of fear around the commitment to someone or the uh, emotionally, being emotionally available to someone is something that I guess comes up that I see, especially through the clinic.
0: Absolutely. I think Maddie and Kat, you make really, really good points. And I think what I can really understand happening in terms of those two examples that you've given, which I think are really, really important to be mindful of is actually really understanding what is an anxious attachment style or what is an avoidant attachment style? Because I think you're right. I think people, perhaps in these examples that you're given, get stuck on the surface of maybe what that means or what the label is. I have this, therefore, this is what I need to fix. Or like you're saying, Kat, almost like an identification. Because I have an anxious attachment style, that's now my identity and that's just what I am and I'm just like this. Okay, so there's no... No further introspection I think what can be really really important is is kind of going back back to the roots of what it actually means that that I have an anxious attachment okay because you're right Kat maybe people are getting stuck on the label and then similar to what you were saying Maddie in that what does it mean for me to have have an anxious attachment what that means is is I have experienced a lot of inconsistency and so then I have a wound or a hypersensitivity to inconsistency in my relationships or in my world in my life and so I'm going to naturally feel or or I'm going to naturally have an anxious response to those experiences okay because they have been encoded in my nervous system in my memory based on the inconsistency in primary caregiving that I received and that is being replicated in my relationship so understanding that as a child if I have an anxious attachment I will focus quite heavily on how the caregiver is responding to my needs and there might be a shift between being over-dependent or quote-unquote clingy okay or distressed and then pulling away so it's that come here go away kind of inconsistency where then as a child I might doubt whether my needs will be met at all And sometimes that can feel like emotional abandonment or that can be internalized as emotional abandonment or rejection. And then essentially what happens is I will come to predict those responses from my parent or I will learn different ways that I can adapt to those needs not being met. So what happens is there's a tendency to be chronically dissatisfied and I become really unaccustomed to receiving love. Having it available doesn't fit my patterning. Okay. My patterning is this sense of chasing. Love is something that I have to chase. And so again, that's what will be replicated or what is likely to be replicated in my relationship. So it's about understanding what am I responding to? It is about understanding how did I learn to love? Okay. What did love look like for me as a child or what has love looked like for me in the past? You know, and, and how might I have adapted to those inconsistencies in early relationships so a big part of this is affect attunement we develop capacity to feel known seen loved safe secure when we have a mutual response okay that's all just a mutual response an empathic kind loving response from our parents and when there is a mismatch to emotional needs or there is a lack of emotional attunement We have a sense of not being known, not being understood, being emotionally invisible. And I know this all sounds very dramatic, but because our attachment is part of our nervous system, like we are 100% dependent on our parents when we are little for all of our needs, it actually does feel like life or death to our nervous system, which is why it's encoded that way, which is then why we are so sensitive to these wounds or similar patterns in our adult relationships okay because attachment is in essence our basic sense of safety in the world and it's this understanding of how others will respond to me how trustworthy others will be and it's understanding in essence to ourselves and how worthy we are of love and care because when you're a child and your parents aren't available to you you have two assumptions either My parent doesn't care about me or I've done something wrong or I'm not enough as to why my parent isn't giving me the love that my parent should be giving me. The safest assumption you can make as a child is there must be something wrong with me or there must be something I'm not doing well enough as to why my parent can't give me that love that I'm craving, that I'm starving for. And so then it is, okay, well, we then become people pleasers. What do I need to be in order for you to love me? Okay. How do I mold myself into being whatever I need to be so that I can be good enough for you to love me? Because that gives me a sense of hope and safety through getting things right. Okay. I can create my own sense of security that if I just do these things, then I'll be good enough. And then you will love me. Okay. Avoidance is essentially the opposite of that. There is this term called reactive autonomy. And that's essentially, I learned that no matter how much I need you, even when it matters most, you won't be there for me. Okay. And again, this isn't conscious. It is adaptive. Our brain just keeps us safe by essentially disconnecting from our needs, restricting our needs. And I learned to be a bit of a one person psychological system, not because I don't want love, not because I don't need it, not because I don't crave it. But because the primary caregivers that were meant to be there for me for no blame or shame here, probably due to their own intergenerational trauma and their own, own parenting. Okay. Whatever we can't transform, we transfer. That's just how it works. It essentially, child comes to learn to shut down or soothe their own attachment needs. And they're more likely to be independent. They are generally people that appear to be quite strong and even confident. On on the surface however physiologically there is a lot of arousal there's a lot of distress because they have learned that essentially they can't trust people to be there for them and so they can be quite dismissive of other people being there and dismissive of their own needs because that is a replication from their childhood experiences I know that was a bit of a, a tangent but I think attachment can essentially open the door to understanding what is happening inside us as a result of what happened to us when we're little. Not because what happened to us was dreadful or awful, but because it happened, because that's your experience. And because our brain is so wise and clever at making sure that if either something scary or hurtful or unsafe happened in the past, I'm going to protect myself from that happening again. So I think when we know, get to know our attachment, it is a learning opportunity. It's not only a learning opportunity to understand myself better, but it's a learning opportunity to understand my partner better as well and what we're responding to, what's kind of being activated inside us.
1: Yes. So well said, Ames. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. It is such a replication, isn't it, of childhood. And I love the way you describe it in terms of the nervous system. It has such a big impact. And really can feel like the core of everything. I know we spoke about this. It it doesn't extend to relationships. It may extend to our relationship with our job, our relationship with money, our relationship with food. I know attachment shows up everywhere and in a lot of domains in our life. I noticed that how it might look on the surface if you're someone who's listening in the UK, well, how would I know if I'm experiencing, you know, maybe some disorganised attachment or insecure attachment or avoidance, you know. And you might find that, and I notice this working clinically, is this idea of, especially in the in the realm of dating, what it might look like, I, I guess attachment style showing up in dating is questions to self. And I wonder if you guys ever hear this of clients why do I keep getting drawn to the same people? What is it about this certain type of personality that I'm drawn to? Or I just can't seem to find someone who feels safe. I just can't seem to find someone who I think should be healthy or secure. I just keep getting drawn to this certain type of person. And as Ames was mentioning, really, it it is about we're drawn to what's familiar, not what's always necessarily, in quotation marks, secure healthy right so I think it's it creates a lot of inner conflict and I wonder how you know if you guys feel this too of I know what type of relationship I should be in or what feels like I want a healthy or a secure relationship whatever that might look like for that person but I just can't help but get drawn to the same type of person because generally I think when we work with clients and we go back and understand how they were loved as Ames was mentioning We can understand what they lacked or what they're looking for. And that forms the basis of what feels familiar and what feels like love. Yeah. So it's not that we're unlucky in love. (laughs) We're often just seeking familiarity, which ironically feels safer than perhaps the, in quotation marks, the healthy or the secure relationship. And so, if you're someone who's listening to this and you might have those same questions to yourself, it it might be worth, you know, having some introspection or research into your attachment style, or even just reflection in understanding your own attachment style and how that might be showing up with, with dating.
0: Absolutely. What do you notice, Maddie, in terms of how attachment shows up in dating, in terms of how your attachment might be impacting dating difficulty or otherwise but what are some common things that that you'll tend to hear
2: yeah I think um really expanding on Kat's point that's probably the main thing that comes up is this cycles. like why do I keep you know ending up in the same situation so I think um if that is a pattern for you so if you finding maybe you end up with someone who's not doesn't I guess chaotic or not treating you right or even just you're like I'm always jealous or I'm always clingy Having a look at maybe your attachment style will help understand, I guess, where you've developed that from. But I think that the other thing to note is that your attachment style will probably show up for someone who, you know, isn't trained to read it like we are in ways that you are threatened. So if you are experiencing something in a relationship uh, where you feel threatened, so similar to what when I was talking about John Bowlby's experiment before, so when the infants were getting, when the parents were leaving the room, the infant felt threatened. So then when they returned, they would o- almost have that reaction and that was able to tell you how sec- uh, securely attached they were to their parent. So in a relationship, if you are, I guess, feeling threatened or something's happening where you start to feel unsafe or un- or threatened, your response will most likely b- reflect the attachment style that you have. So, for example, if you're sharing emotions or sharing emotions for you might seem really scary and you're used to doing everything yourself, you might have more of an avoidant attachment. That's obviously very surface level, but it's kind of getting understanding of what are the patterns of behavior that come up for you? So when someone is starting to get really emotionally close to you, you might start to feel threatened. And so that's that sign. Uh, so your usual response is to avoid and not emotionally connect to that person. Again, from what Amy was really talking about, like you can develop this attachment from your parent or caregiver who is inconsistently emotionally unavailable or unresponsive of your needs, you may have also faced repeated discouragement from crying or expressing outward emotions. So, if that was something that you experienced as a kid where you couldn't safely express your emotions, then that's something that you've either had to learn as an adult or it's carried through. So, it can add to showing up in your relationship where Anytime there's that emotional vulnerability a connection, you find that that is something you feel threatened by and you almost need to avoid. So That's a bit of a sign of how it could come up in a relationship. I guess another example, and this is a lot more in that anxious attachment style, thinking your partner is better than you, feeling scared they're not invested as much as you are, constantly seeking approval. Again, these are just like tr- some traits, not absolutely not a a definite that you have this attachment style, but just some of the behaviours that if you start to notice how that actually happens a lot for me – Maybe you lean to more towards like an anxious attachment style, and this could be developed from, I guess, having rooted abandonment fears and I guess care related inconsistencies growing up. So developed, I guess, from when you have like unreliable caregivers, uh, you repeatedly learn that caregivers may or may not come through with your needs. So then, in a relationship, it's almost second guessing. Oh, are they? Are they going to be there for me? Am I putting so much into this? Are they not? Almost feeling really clingy towards them, and then all of a sudden questioning everything. So, they're, I guess, the sorts of behaviours that you can start to um, identify in your relationships. But again, going on what Kat was saying before, we often create an environment that we're used to and feels, in quotations, safe to us. So, if we grow up in a safe, reliable household, we are more likely to have secure attachments and then try to create that in our adult relationships with people. If you grow up in a or grew up in a chaotic household that was unreliable, as odd as it might sound, you might start to create the same lifestyle because it feels somewhat, in quotation, safe to what you're used to. So I know we'll talk a little bit more about this as well, but I guess when we're thinking about strategies to identifying working through attachment, trying to identify, okay, what is this pattern that keeps coming up for me? And I mean, maybe you feel quite secure or maybe there's a different attachment style going on that might, I guess, mean why you keep ending up in the same situation. Maddie, so well said. Thank you so much
1: for sharing. I would love to throw it to the both of you because that is my theme of today. So Maddie and Ames under the bus. <laughs> I would love to hear about tips and coping strategies. So for anyone listening at home who might be resonating with what we're saying or really, really relating to a, a few things that we have said. Ames, talk to me about some tips and strategies that you might have for someone who perhaps is wanting to heal or not heal but care for themselves and maybe understand their attachment and I guess how it shows up in dating. Well, what would be your top top tips?
0: Great, great question. I think, and this might be extremely obvious. I think therapy is a really, really helpful tool. Uh, to utilize if you have the financial means to access therapy to work through attachment injury attachment wounds if you are finding yourself feeling a little bit more on the anxious end of the attachment spectrum or if you have noticed a pattern of relationships feeling really difficult. I think that's something that a lot of people on the avoidant end of the spectrum often describe is just that it feels really difficult to enter new relationships. Uh, Relationships feel really hard and, and they'd much rather just withdraw because that's what feels comfortable for them. Not that they're not really wanting to find love or not that they're really craving connection because i think that's a common misconception with avoidantly attached people they get quite a bad rap so they're just you know kind of cold and withdrawn and and don't have a lot of empathy but that's just not the case they've, they've actually learned to be a bit of a one-person psychological system so if you are in either of these boats or attachment might be showing up for you in a variety of other ways as well um, if you just notice that you get really overwhelmed In relationships, or with the prospect of of dating or relationships. First and foremost, accessing a therapist can be really helpful to just kind of help you understand past experiences and how that might be contributing to the patterns that you might be experiencing showing up in your relationship today, or even just how you're responding to situations. As we've talked about a little bit, our attachment is that internal script or template. Okay, so sometimes what can happen is we might be perceiving a, a situation in our relationships as, as though it was the past happening again. So essentially, say, for example, for an anxious ambivalently attached person, they might be feeling like they're really unappreciated and unloved and that might be causing a lot of frustration and hurt in the relationship and they might be craving a lot more emotional intensity. And I think understanding what might be happening, what you might be responding to with the help of a therapist can be really instrumental to healing some of those attachment patterns. In terms of what you might be able to start doing for yourself, I think like like we have kind of been talking about reflecting on past experiences. So if I am responding to something, where might this be familiar for me? What is the story that I have around what's happening or, or how have I understood love? I know that's a really big question, but it's great to kind of start with those general broad questions is how have I understood love? Like how have I understood what it means to be loved? What has that really looked like for me? I think... Just like Kat was saying, anxiety is such a human experience. So if, if you are human, generally you would have experienced anxiety to some extent and focusing on regulation and regulating our nervous system can be really helpful. So anything that is body based, understanding that I think actually really great question that, that you mentioned before, Kat a lot of what we hear clinically is, I understand. So I have this cognitive understanding that I'm I'm repeating this pattern. Okay. And I'm so self-aware. I'm so self-aware as to why I keep, you know, maybe going for the same person over and over again. I'm aware of my triggers and yet I, I just can't seem to break this, this cycle or I just can't seem to break this pattern. I think the reason why is because our attachment isn't cognitive or our our attachment wounds, our, our triggers, if you will, are not cognitive, okay? So we actually need to have an embodied correctional experience, like a remapping, a reparenting correctional experience of safety. I know this sounds much easier said than done, But it essentially requires us to practice something different, even if it is just with ourselves. So what is it that I might find really difficult to accept or love about myself? And can I start leaning into that? Uh, Essentially, that is how we can really heal attachment wounds or unhealthy cycles is it's what is the story or the belief that I have around this? And can I start practicing something different? A lot of the, I guess, difficulty that comes with attachment is that we become very disconnected from ourselves okay so even just started to become connected more deeply with ourselves and what emotions or situations we find really hard to be in that can be a really great way to start healing uh, attachment injuries that come up for us okay so for example for an avoidantly attached person what can happen is they may be perceived as quite cold and disconnected, which can increase their partner's anxiety if they are more on the anxious end of the spectrum. And then what can happen is they can interpret situations as though they're being controlled by the needs of their partner. So for example, it might be expanding our capacity to acknowledge that our partner has needs and what is the discomfort coming up? for me where is it familiar that I might be perceiving that 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 is control and what is it like to lean into needs that I might have okay is, is that a projection that I haven't been allowed to have needs and so I'm rejecting that my partner has needs okay what feels really uncomfortable about that for me I think starting there can be really really helpful and I think going back to what you were mentioning before Kat really kind of acknowledging that that a lot of relational dynamics, like a lot of anxiety or withdrawal responses that happen are normal. But if I'm noticing that this is happening more and more frequently to an extent or to an intensity that is impacting my day-to-day life, my sense of self-worth and how my partner is feeling in the relationship, then it also might be a good cue or a good sign that I might need some some external help with that too. What would you both say? What are your tips?
2: I think the first thing is to remember that I guess it's you have the ability to change your attachment. So I guess by identifying your attachment style, you can learn to challenge the insecurities, develop a more securely attached way of relating to others and build stronger, healthy, healthier and more fulfilling relationships. So, I guess a few tips that I can kind of go through that to start is, and this is something you can do without therapy, it's just starting to build a stronger connection with yourself. So, that might look like having some intentional time alone, journaling, mindfulness. And when I say that, Being really intentional means not doing something that's distracting yourself. So, really kind of sitting with the thoughts, maybe that looks like reflecting, and then kind of leads me to my next point, which is learning how to healthily express your emotions and self-regulate. So, you can do this through reading, you might find videos that help, reflecting on past ways that you've dealt with situations in the past, and really kind of trying to understand, okay, why did I, you know... Avoid this person when they showed me love or whatever it might be. Just trying to really challenge your thinking can help start to unpack, I guess, your attachment style. But the main one, and I think we say this every episode, is that talking to your therapist, it can be really helpful because they obviously have um, – An understanding in this that can help you get through it. And especially if you've experienced negative experiences in the past, especially around your childhood, this is something that could have impacted your attachment style and something that talking to your therapist can be really helpful for unpacking, you know, what you've experienced in the past. What about you, Kat? Great tips.
1: Absolutely love what you both have had to say. I think absolutely therapy is such a wonderful place to start. I would say the only thing I have to add, um, I know you guys are the queens of this, but the only thing that I would add is I think incredible self-compassion is needed. I think I hear a lot about I want to change my attachment type. I don't like being this way. I hate it. It's annoying. And I get that. That's so validating, right? I, I totally understand that. However, there is nothing wrong with you. Nothing has ever been wrong with you. And I think that sometimes when we spoke about earlier that attachment can make you feel like there is something wrong. If you fall outside the scope of a secure attachment, you perhaps feel a sense of there is something wrong with me. I'm not enough already. And to identify with something that isn't a secure attachment might reinforce that further. Okay. And I really, really want to reiterate here that there is nothing wrong with you if you don't have a secure attachment. Okay. And I think self-compassion here that your attachment has been so protective of you. Your attachment has protected you and served you very well. It is nothing to get rid of. It is something to be compassionate and understanding about. Yeah. Because I think if you do want to change it or or, or shift it, then I think what needs to come first is understanding of of what your attachment and why it's formed and what it's come from and what it's protected you from. And I really think that that's an, another good place to start. Yeah, yeah through, through understanding some comes self compassion. Attachment is not that there's anything wrong with you, but your your nervous system and your brain have worked really hard to keep you safe, and it's actually been really helpful in childhood. It just may not serve you anymore. Yeah. Okay, and and that's the shift. So that would be kind of. You know, a great place to start i do have a really quick recommendation um for anyone who is new to attachment or wanting to learn a little bit more about it attached by dr Emil Levine is a really great book um especially if it's you're new to attachment and wanting to learn a little bit more about it it might be helpful and i know you guys might have some resources on this is to leave some books and resources in the show notes so for maybe anyone wanting to learn more um, we can leave some resources there Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ames, as always, for your beautiful pearls of wisdom. And thank you so much, Maddie, for joining us today and sharing your wonderful pearls of wisdom. It is always such an honor to hear you guys talk about this. So thank you for joining us. We will be back in a few weeks' time. We will be actually, our next episode, Ames, is based around how to know when you're ready to go to therapy. So stay tuned for that one we'll leave all the information in the show notes and as always you can find us on instagram at the psychology sisters or the site collaborative and yeah thank you guys so much for joining us and we will be in your ears very soon hey guys just adding a disclosure this episode is not intended to replace personalized psychological advice and it is always intended to be general in nature This episode does not take into account your own individual experiences. We always recommend you seek personalized professional psychological support.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to support the show, it would mean the world to us if you could leave a review. This also helps
1: us sneak our way into more ears. If you'd like to follow us or learn more, please follow us at the Psychology Sisters or at the Psych Collaborative on Instagram. If you'd like more info on our private practice, please visit www.thesitecollaborative.com. All of this info will be in our show notes. We will see you next time, guys. Bye.